led you to this place of redemption. So just for a moment, I just encourage everybody to really think back and give thanks to the Father for his divine plan for Jesus. Because if it had not been, you would not be. Right? There was some dirt before the all-white gala. Um, so I dare not stand and act like I deserve to sing every time I was brought forth to lead a solo. You right? Arguing with your wife before it was time for you to minister. God didn't kill me for that. Even where I deserved it. So um, let's thank God for redemption. Right? And thank you for the spoken word minister Earl and EC Dance. Thank you for your wonderful selection. But tonight is about the identity conference and honor. So at this time, we're going to bring forth the big man, our senior pastor and the founder of this wonderful conference, Apostle Benjamin T. Moore. And he's going to carry us forth the rest of the evening with honoring our honorees. So let's welcome him with a hand clap. Apostle Benjamin T. Moore. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, everybody. Wow, what a beautiful, beautiful sight. I know everybody looks wonderful and looks good and everything, but can we just take a moment and just lift our hands before the Lord and just give him some worship tonight? Is that all right? Can we just bless the name of Jesus? Because he is worthy of everything that we can give him and more. Come on, let's just take a moment. I know we look good. I know our stomachs are full. I know we haven't officially started worship services, but let's just start tonight. We're just telling the Lord that we love him, that we appreciate him. Come on, that we just thank him and honor him for just being who he is. Father, we worship you. Come on, y'all, just take a moment. I, I know you look good. Let's just take a moment. Let's just check in with heaven. Father, here I am. Here are my fingerprints. Here, here's my voice. Here I am made in your image, in your likeness, in your presence. Just to worship you, just to honor you, just to adore you. Father, we thank you tonight. We glorify you. We lift up your name. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God. Let's just do this. Let's just give him a standing ovation tonight. Come on, let's just give our Father a standing ovation. Come on, we can do a little bit better than that. He's been good to you. He's been kind to you. He's been long-suffering. Hallelujah. I'm going to do this the best I can, controlling my, my preach habit. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, before I get into my official remarks, uh, I would like to just recognize my wife. Where is she? Where is she going? <laughs> Perfect timing. Also, uh, but uh, my wife is a phenomenal woman, and I'm not saying that because she's my wife or because I'm in the doghouse. I'm saying that because it's true. Uh, almost a month ago, she gave birth to uh, our second child, Isaac Thomas. And he's back in the back. This is his first time uh, at church. You're going to spend a lot of days here, brother. 
Amen. But he's back there. Uh, Sister Tia, just, wa uh, just wave your hand on his behalf. Amen. <laughs> Isaac Thomas is back there. Uh, okay. All right. Um, so thank you guys for coming tonight. We were just honored and, and just really, really uh, a special occasion. My wife told me earlier this morning, I, I knew she was getting a little cabin fever. She said, I want to go to IDCon. She texted me and I was like, okay. So, so I'm glad to have her out with us tonight. So good evening, everybody. Absolutely honored to have each and every one of you here for our second Identity Conference 2018. Um, tonight is the official commencement of our gathering of what we call ID Scholars. We're delighted to be here. Uh, the purpose of the Identity Conference, in short, is to educate, empower, and inspire believers to discover and embrace their individual and corporate identities in Christ. To our knowledge, there is no such conference that has addressed the dire need to understand and embrace the veracity of our identities in God. While we have many conferences on leadership, missions, giftings, families, it is our conviction that we will not be the leader, the missionary, the savant, the family member that we could potentially be if we do not address who we are at our core. We believe that our identity is only found within the context of the Father. Scripture declares to us, for in him we live, move, and have our being. We can only be our true and genuine selves within our understanding of the Father's love and his word over our lives. I want to talk about identity. Everyone say identity. identity. The word identity itself fundamentally means the essence of being oneself or sameness. Identity is the gift that we've all been given. It is all of ours, yet it is very specific and very individual to each of us. We have been granted the unique specificity of fingerprints. Everyone do this. Everybody's got very specific fingerprints. Fingerprints are very exact and precise to you. Fingerprints are what we are using to identify ourselves. Fingerprints can give one the ability to tell stories. You can recreate a crime scene with fingerprints. Fingerprints are revealers. Fingerprints are treasure troves. Not simply are we identified by fingerprints, we are also identified by voice biometrics. Voice biometrics is the technology that draws out one's personal voice patterns, inflections, and tones, and other auditory markers. Every day we experience voice activation technology that identifies us specifically as a particular speaker. There is also facial recognition. Many phone companies and the like have adopted facial recognition practices to protect our mobile devices. Everybody's got a phone, and most of our uh, phones have facial recognition. Even Facebook can identify you by your face. While, they, while all of these devices and mechanisms are relatively trustworthy and remarkable, there is nothing more foolproof in positive identification than your DNA. DNA is the microscopic 
genetic sequencing that is undeniably, unmistakably, and unalterably you. Cosmic surgery, hair extensions, colored contacts, a new wardrobe, a name change, not even the witness protection program can change or alter your DNA. If we stay here at DNA for just a little bit, the scriptures do not specifically use the words DNA, but it does use the word seed, or in the Greek, the word sperma. Scripture records, no one born of God makes a practice out of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep sinning because he has been born of God. That's 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. We were born of the seed of God. We are his offspring. The DNA has given us the codes and the instructions that would dictate to us our traits, our characteristics, and our attributes. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. For the new born-again believer, our DNA is directly linked to heaven's gene pool. Since we know that heaven is a spiritual place in reality and not a physical place, we must understand that our spiritual DNA must be recreated. As the Apostle Paul wrote as he was ministering in Mars Hill, he said again, for in him being Jesus, we live, move, and have our what? Our being. It is our firm conviction that our identities are exclusively found, again, within the context of the Father. It is my personal conviction and contention that the church universal is suffering from an identity crisis. An identity crisis is a conflict between the truth of your identity and the expression of your identity. Satan's first attack in the Garden of Eden was an attack on Adam and Eve's understanding of who they were. David R. Tolson wrote in his book, Flawless, it is obvious that Lucifer could not be like God in his sense of ambitious audacity. Consequently, after his plan was foiled, he set his sights on defeating God's image and likeness, Adam and Eve. This is where the plot takes a particular twist. Once Lucifer approached Eve, this marked the beginning of the saddest day of human history, end quote. Adam's sin created within us an identity crisis. The most overlooked element of salvation is identity restoration. I'm going to say that again. The most overlooked element of salvation is identity restoration. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter number 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. How many have heard that at funerals? That's everybody in here. Contrary to popular belief, this was not a statement or treatise on heaven being unprepared for our arrival, but rather informing us that we will one day occupy the place of sonship. After the resurrection, John picks up this theme again and says, now are we the sons of God. Jesus came to restore to us our rightful places of identity. In light of this, it makes it abundantly clear that sin 
isn't simply a heaven or hell issue, but also an issue of life of a fulfilled identity and existence. As we continue to consider the essential need and nature of identity, we must shift our ministry placement model from being gift focused to being identity focused. This is not to ignore one's gifts, but simply to highlight and understand that within the identity package are the necessary gifts to accomplish the purpose and the plan of one's identity. Consider King David, the beloved king of Israel. David is very well known as a psalmist and is credited for penning Psalms 23. He is also noted to having been the player of a harp or a lyre for King Saul, according to 1 Samuel 16 and 23. David was an accomplished musician and songwriter, yet he was anointed a king. It is my contention that had David stayed in the realm of music and did not explore what he was actually anointed for, that ultimately the royal lineage of Christ would not have been initiated. One of the byproducts of gift-focused placement in ministry is the birthing of what we call a hireling syndrome. While I believe that ministers deserve and should be compensated, it is, our, it is to our detriment to simply find people with gifts and pay them. Ooh, that was good. I'm going to say that again. While I believe that ministers deserve and should be compensated, it is, our, it is to our detriment to simply find people with gifts and pay them. A major component of the hireling syndrome is that the minister becomes performance driven. I hasten to assure you that though playing, preaching, teaching, and ministering in and with skill is vitally important, our drive should make sure that the Father is pleased and that ministry should be birthed from intimacy. Hirelings are driven to perform or produce, oftentimes too often, comparing themselves to others. When ministry becomes about comparison, competition, and compulsion, we are headed towards a downward spiral and becoming a lackluster minister and ministry. Currently, there is an international discussion going on right now concerning church hurt. I submit to you that perhaps many of our singers, musicians, preachers, would be less hurt and rejected by churchdom if we focus less on their gifts and develop their identities and strength of character. In some cases, we have given more deference to what a person can do than we have valued the embracing their identity. The scales are often out of balance and our gifts and our talents and our abilities are valued over the importance of embracing the strength of our identities. If we go back to identity-focused ministry training, there will be less hurt, disappointment, and emotional scarring. Spirits of rejection, comparison, and competition are often the byproducts of a lack of known identity and confidence therein. Dr. Jonathan Welton wrote in a Facebook post on April 17, 2017, it is no longer acceptable to label all church leaders pastor so-and-so. 
We must begin to train ministers specifically how to operate within their fivefold grace, empowerment, and calling. The supernatural grace of the fivefold ministry is unique to each of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. End quote. We understand that not everyone called to ministry is an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. Simply lumping and labeling every church member as a pastor is and has been detrimental to our understanding and operation in the identity and the assignment of our individual ministries. Simply stated, as we, a lot of us, are suffering emotionally and in ministerial turmoil because we are not in the God-given places of our occupation. The Apostle Paul wrote, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. He knew who he was and he knew whom he was called and celebrated his fit, function, and flow. Moving now towards solutions. Over the last seven years, I have preached, taught, and developed the thought and the theme of fit, function, and flow. Putting the pieces together, our identity is our who-ness. Just touch somebody and say who-ness. Who the preacher got to come out of me just a little bit. Y'all forgive me. Our fit is our awareness. That is where we fit. We want to say fit. Yes. Our function is our whatness. That is what we do. Everyone say our function. And our flow is our howness or how we accomplish that. Everyone say, my flow. my flow. Once the believer embraces who they are, where they fit, what they are to do, and how they are to do it, it works wonders and miracles in their self-esteem and sense of personal worth. As I bring this to a close, I prophesy that the state of the church's identity is intact but battered. There is a voice and sound emanating from heaven that is calling us into a place of confidence, assurance, and identity. I believe that denominational walls are coming down. The call of this conference is to be a beacon and a lighthouse to help believers to find themselves. This weekend, I challenge you, to take advantage of every opportunity to meet the best version of yourself. This weekend, know that you are in a safe place to heal and receive your deliverance. This is your time to know and embrace your identity and to walk in your fit, function, and flow. Amen. 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 Just high five somebody and just say it's good to see you look good. All right. Now I have the, the distinct pleasure, after having said all of that, to initiate our conference. Now I have the distinct pleasure of giving a, a tribute to what I call a giant of a man. So, yes, please. So today, tonight, we're going to take the, the time to honor uh, and acknowledge a man of small physical stature, but is a giant in impact and relevance. 
And I'm going to do my utmost best not to slobber and cry and snot and sneeze. And all the EC or just everybody put their cameras out. But I speak of none, under the, the, none other than the man, the myth, and the legend, Apostle Byron V. Johnson. And let, me just, let me just say this. A lot of times we wait for someone to be laid out in front of us before we say things that we should have said while they could actually hear it. I think the mic is on. Okay. And so tonight we really wanted to just honor you, Bishop. And if y'all know Bishop, y'all know that he probably is in his mind strangling me. <laughs> He's like, yes, I am. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, the scripture says, Bishop, to give honor to whom honor is due. So I'm, I'm going to do my best to get through this. Um, So, born to Val and Leah Johnson on January 22nd, 1939, in the great city of Chicago, Illinois, he was educated through the public school system of Chicago and would go on to higher education at Knox College, earning his BA in biology and chemistry, and would eventually earn two master's degrees from McCormick Theological Seminary and would ultimately earn his PhD in instructional materials from Southern Illinois University. In the year of our Lord, 1963, he would join in holy matrimony to the former Anita Shelton and to their union were born Byron Keith and Kimberly. As his career and family was escalating, so was his ministry. In 1972, he became the pastor of Apostolic Church of God in Harrisburg, Illinois until assuming the pastorate of Christ Temple Apostolic Faith Assembly, the mother church of the Pentecostal Assemblies of the World here in the great city of Indianapolis in the year 1990. Under the leadership of Apostle Johnson, the mother church experienced amazing things. And some of us here tonight were a part of that tenure. Things such as the reestablishment of consistent missions, including the construction of three new churches in Nigeria, yearly trips to the Holy Land, I think you've been, what, 20 times or something along those lines, a boom in attendance and membership, a vision for expansion, and most importantly, spiritual growth. During his tenure at Christ Temple, there was a buzz about the city and the parishioners would begin to genuinely grow into a greater conviction of the necessity of a real and vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Apostle Johnson would challenge what would be commonly understood to be a bishop. <laughs> Within the ranks of his organizational affiliation, most often bishops were looked upon to carry a particular air or demeanor, but Apostle Johnson stayed true to himself never becoming demanding or acting inflated. And I said amen to that. Amen. In 2001, on a missions trip in Russia, God commissioned him to resign from his current pastorate 
at the Mother Church and relaunch ministry under the auspices of Bring the Man. Thank you. It would be called New Wineskin Ministries. In its inaugural location, the Omega Center, New Wineskin Ministries was busting at the seams. How many remember those days? Many worshipers from around the city and the state congregated to be a part of something new and fresh. The services were explosive. This was the first time in my life, or what I could recall, where I saw people unprovoked by human coercion bring money to the altar in the middle of praise and worship. I saw and heard several times individuals stand and proclaim, I just emptied out my bank account. I think Pastor Mark, you're probably one of those people a couple of times. I remember seeing an elderly mother get out of her wheelchair during a service in front of the entire congregation. This was truly a remarkable and exciting time. This is where I hold back my tears. Two classic messages. I personally remember at the Omega Center was if not, we will not. I think that was the name of it. And the message was taken from Daniel chapter 3, where the three Hebrew boys refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar. The potency of that message was, our God was well able to deliver us, but if he didn't, we still would not bow. That message... It literally changed my life. I was in the middle of one of the most hurtful and confusing times in my life. And that message gave me the strength and the grace that I needed to fall on my knees, thank you, and give God exactly what he wanted out of me. And that was a total yes, despite my own passionate wishes and desires. So thank you for that. The other message was taken from 1 Samuel, where God asked the prophet, how long will you mourn for Saul? Does anybody remember that message? I could see the personal angst and strength that Apostle Johnson exhibited as God was resolving the pain in the morning of leaving his former pastor. What leadership? I can recall many messages, words, and examples, but time will not allow me to detail them all. After responding to and being led by a prophetic word, by Bishop Tudor Bismarck, Apostle Johnson was officially affirmed as an apostle in 2004, having birthed and overseen several ministries. Apostle Johnson continues to teach, to train, and to father. 2009, Apostle Johnson relinquished his position as a senior pastor 
and pass the baton to Pastor Mark B. Brown and assuming the position of apostolic overseer. Apostle Johnson is known internationally for his quiet, meek, and demure demeanor that roars and mutates when he dons the podium to preach and teach the word of God. If you are privileged to spend time with him, you will soon discover his dry wit and humor that is entertaining and cerebral. For example, the night I was receiving my doctorate, I was putting on my tam and said, wow, this thing is too small or either my head is too big. He quit back. Those are made for people with big heads. Those aren't made for people with big heads. I quickly understood what he was saying. It was not about the diameter or the circumference of my head, but rather a gentle reminder to stay humble and teachable. Even in the midst of his own personal health challenges, Apostle Johnson has remained resolute and consistent. And I just want to share three lessons from his life. Number one, it is okay to be yourself. Apostle Johnson is an example of identity, individualism, and confidence in oneself. It is through the quiet example of Apostle Johnson that I have received focus and strength to be myself. In ministry, it is so easy to adopt and mutate into going trends and or the person. Apostle has been fiercely dedicated to being himself, yet evolving. Number two, obedience to the Father is non-negotiable, even in the face of doing what is unpopular. It is indeed a fact that ministry is a walk of faith. And after years of pastoring and leading a very well-established congregation, Apostle Johnson answered the call to take a new ministry journey. On the surface, his decision to leave seemed to be the most uninformed and ill-advised decision. But Apostle Johnson decided to obey the Father above popular opinion. It takes a man of strength to stand in submission to the Father. And last but not least, number three, legacy is not leaving something for people, it's leaving something in people. One day we were having a conversation about legacy and he later would respond to me via email and wrote, legacy is not leaving something for people, is leaving something in people. These words gripped my heart. He pivoted the conversation from what do I do to who am I? So tonight we just wanna, I just wanna say thank you and honor you and tell the Lord thank you in the front of everybody tonight for giving us such a gift in the person of you. So, Apostle Johnson, Bishop Johnson, thank you so much. Can we stand and give this man of God a standing ovation here? We wanted to give him a Lifetime Achievement Award. It says, presented to Apostle Byron, G 
Byron V. Johnson awarded for outstanding vision, dedication, and commitment. And then it says again in quotations, legacy is not leaving something for people, it is leaving something in people. Presented July the 11th, 2018, presented by the Identity Conference in conjunction with Empowerment Church, myself as the founder. So could you please come and receive this, sir? make you say something. He's going to this. Something. Well, you stole that one from me. Because I was going to do just that. like that and the slideshow was very touching as it covered some of the major aspects of my life including the building that I did my first pastorate in and uh, you saw others we won't go over all of that but I do want to thank all of you for coming tonight it's been so kind of you to sacrifice some of your time to come here and be with us. I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate the staff and all the hard work that they have done, not only before this meeting, but during the meeting, and I suspect after we leave here. <laughs> Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. It's a funny thing how being diagnosed with a potentially fatal disease changes the way you look at a lot of things. And it forces you to reevaluate your theology, your goals, your walk with the Lord, everything. And I do thank the Lord for that journey. A journey which is not over yet. But there was a time when I thought that I felt the Lord saying to me, you take care of my business and I'll take care of yours. So I don't worry too much about my health. That's not my department. So if you have any questions about that, you'll have to ask the one who's in charge of that department. My desire is that I will always be taking care of the master's business, perhaps not as zealous or as energetic as I once did, but so long as I have breath in this body, I'm willing to do that. And I appreciate those of you that have been praying for me for quite some time now. And as the saints used to sing, saints don't stop praying. <laughs> because I appreciate your prayers. 
that they have helped me greatly. So I trust everyone will have a, a good evening uh, as you leave here, and you leave with my profound gratitude for being here tonight, and may God bless all of you. You, you can't ask permission with Bishop, you have to just take initiative. I've learned he's not gonna say nothing, but you just have to do it. And he may not make a big deal, but he appreciates it as you, as you heard. Um, tonight we're gonna to be concluding uh, tonight's festivities very, very shortly. Um, but before we do, I'm gonna turn it back over uh, into the hands of our executive pastor, uh, Prophet Leisha.